I'm Catherine Mazone here on behalf of Mojo Streaming, and I'm very proud to introduce our guest, Alam Orion. Alam, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I want to get started with the basics. I know that you're neck deep right now in conservationism. You're an activist. You've got a great organization. But I want to know how you got there. So let's start at the very beginning. Have you always been a wildlife lover and appreciator? I've always been a, a, a lover of animals. Uh, I grew up in Israel. I was born in the U.S., but grew up in Israel. And in Israel, there's cats everywhere in the streets, everywhere, more than people. Uh, and all the, all the Mediterranean, but especially in Israel, there's cats everywhere in the streets. So we always had cats around. We adopted them. We took care of them. We saw them, you know, getting hit by cars. We saw them having babies. So we, we followed their life cycle, and I got to just to love these animals. Um, we didn't have too many other animals around, but uh, when I moved to Tel Aviv, uh, you know, after my military service, um, there were cats there as well. So I became the feeding station of all the cats. And then we also had this, back then, I think that's gone by now, thank God. But back then they had this custom uh, of old ho horses carrying these heavy carriages in the streets of Tel Aviv among cars and all that. It's an, it was an old Yiddish kind of tradition called Altezachen. Basically, it's, it's a guy with a cart chained to a horse, and he goes in the streets and he shouts, Altezachen, which means old things in Yiddish. And people just basically say, oh, yeah, I have an oven to get rid of. I have a fridge. And he waits for them. They bring it down. And he takes, takes it away. So all, basically, a guy that kind of buys or takes all things for free. And it would drive me nuts. You know, I would see these poor horses, barely like, you know, skinny horses pulling these um, heavy carts with fridges and, and ovens behind them. And I was like, come on, this is like 20th, 21st century. It was 20th century back then. This got to stop. So I started getting interested. Okay, who, who's in charge of animals in Israel? Who's, is it Ministry of Agriculture? Who do I write letters to? Who do I talk to about it even? So I started kind of getting into it and also helping the cats, you know, spaying and neutering them, saving them from the streets. Uh, neighbors basically fed them or kept them, you know, when, when it was in, during the winter, which is not that terrible in Israel. Um, they would let them inside office, their offices or their apartments. So yeah, I, beca I became really mostly kind of concerned about saving these animals that are everywhere. Uh, but wasn't really aware of you know the whole animal rights issues. You know, animals. I was still eating animals. I completely disconnected. Didn't make the connection. But that's how it started. And then when I moved to the U.S. to, uh, to study acting, or returned to the U.S. more uh, so to speak, I. Um, I became aware of animal rights groups and animal rights activist activism and and that there's an, an issue there's a thing called factory farms for other kinds of animals you know for cows for pigs for goats for for sheep for chickens um became aware that there's a bigger problem of how we as a human race treat animals it's it's more than just the cats and the horse, horses in the streets so I became aware, got into it, and uh, yeah, kind of found myself deep into the animal rights movement. Yeah, well, the first thing I found when I looked you up was your acting accolades. So I know that you're you're also really deep into that. We'll get there later. I want to ask how you juggle everything, but but first, I want to touch on your organization, Our Planet. There's two. Yeah. Um, the mission essentially is to have a, a place where we all live and animals have rights. 
And as you say on your webpage, it's a great thought. It sounds like a utopia. Uh, and it also sounds out of reach for many, but you say it's not. And that's the first thing that, that I noticed. So I want to, I want to first just dive into where you think we are and why you think there's a chance for that. Well, we're, we're in a good place, but not there yet. You know, from any angle that you look at the situation, we're, we're not in a good place in terms of the crisis, the climate crisis, the planet, the environment, uh, the global warming, um, and, you know, countries and, and, you know, UN and other bodies are cop, cop whatever they're called, uh, trying to deal with it, or maybe not very effectively, but we're not every the science says that we're not in a good place our emissions are way too much uh we're killing the ozone green gas emissions you know um air pollution water pollution the grass sur green surfaces of our planet are diminishing mostly because of animal agriculture um you know deforestation all that stuff so we're not in a good place i mean scientists predict if we continue in the same rate there won't be a planet in 20 30 years right uh, or it won't be livable. And we're already, see we're already seeing the effect of that. You know, there's, uh, nature is not kind to us around the world, you know, tsunamis and fires in uh, California and drought and all kind, of, all kind of ways and pandemics, all kind of ways in which the planet or nature is giving us a warning sign. So we're not in a good place. We're, we're um, you know, that, that's from the environmental climate aspect. From health aspect, we're not in a good place either. We're eating the wrong food. A huge percent of the population is obese, diabetes, heart disease, right? All these diseases that are cancer, all these diseases that are killing us, literally. Science knows by now that a big factor in these diseases is what we eat, what we consume, our lifestyle. So not only the pollution around us, but also what the pollution we put in our bodies. So that's the health aspect of, uh, which is a result of, you know, consuming and eating animals. And again, if you want to talk about pandemics, that's also a result of eating animals. I mean, pandemic, this pandemic and other pandemics didn't come from us eating carrots and broccoli, right? It comes from eating animals, con putting them in close confinement with each other in, in all these facilities, whether it's in Asia or even here in the US, we have our own version of live markets. It's called factory farms where, Thousands of animals are crammed together in cages or one big cages, which is called range, uh, free range. Um, they're pecking on each other. They're all frustrated. They have no space to spread their wings if it's chickens. We pump them with hormones and antibiotics so they don't get sick more than they wouldn't normally get sick just by the pro uh, close proximity of how they live. And once in a while, they, they, the antibiotics doesn't help. And then there's a pandemic that, that started, you know, avian flu, swine flu, uh, COVID-19. So that's from the aspect of how of our health, human health. And then from the aspect of the cruelty to the animal, the sheer what we do to animals from just a moral aspect, we're also in a bad place because we are raising billions of animals every year. And we talk about the wildlife animals as well. I mean, we don't really give them any much consideration. But we raise um, billions of animals every year in all kinds of uh, systems, well-oiled systems, factory farms, slaughterhouses, transport trucks. Uh, we have a whole uh, kind of well-oiled machine that we have developed around the planet of 
raising, using, and, and consuming these animals. And we think um, everything is fine. So, you know, other than the environmental uh, terrible effects that this has on the planet and our atmosphere and everything else on this planet, and other than the terrible effect that it has on our human, on our health, of our species health, it has also, of course, a devastating effect of these, on these animals. Um, these systems are very cruel. You know, they separate families and mothers and babies. There's no disregard to these to their well-being, uh, welfare at all. Uh, they're objects, and we use them on a conveyor belt. You know, well-oiled machine. Just do it as fast as possible, as profitable as possible, to become commodities. Whether it's the food we eat, the clothes we wear, and you know, leather and fur and all that stuff. The products, products we use, you know, shampoos. So people are not even aware that ev literally every product that we use in our daily life is somehow has either animal products in it or tested on animals or abusing animals in some way. So we're not in a good place. I mean, and, and again, science says that if we continue the way we are, there won't be many animal species are going extinct. Um, the whole ecological system is out of whack because of the antibiotics and because how we manipulate certain species to serve us. Pandemics spring up here and there. Everybody says there will, there will be a next pandemic at some point. Um, again, human health, we're not healthy in general. Uh, you know, a very famous uh, vegan animal rights guy called Gary Urofsky has a very famous lecture where he says, if you open a TV or TV any time of the day, the biggest ad advertising is for meat, dairy, and pharmaceuticals. So the biggest advertising for what is killing us and then for what uh, the medical establishment is trying to get us to take to not to try to stop the, the killing of us, right? Try to stop, stop the effect of, of our lifestyle. So just medicine after medicine after medicine, diabetes, heart, heart disease, heart, um, high blood pressure, all that stuff. So not to sound too morbid, but we're yeah, not in a good so much place. doom and gloom. <laughs> so we're not in a good place, but we all know. And again, science says, and that's what the vegan movement is trying to educate everybody else, that if there is a way to reverse things, if this planet moves to rely on what we call a plant based system, there is hope for the planet. You know, green, you know, the big one of the one of the th three big uh, causes for global warming is not transportation and cars and airplanes and, and coal and all that. It's actually animal agriculture because of the amount of methane they release in the air, the pollution of the waters, the, again, killing the grassy areas, the green areas of the planet. So if we reverse the system, reverse our, life, our lifestyle and rely on plants, science says that there is hope for the planet. So the atmosphere will clear, the lungs the green lungs of the planet will go back to their function that's the amazon rainforest all you know all the grass green areas around the planet uh human health will improve there's been many studies and many films like what the health that you can reverse heart disease you can reverse diabetes you can reverse cancer even by changing your diet and of course you know the ethical the welfare aspect of how we treat our fellow beings will uh, no longer be there Animals will live in sanctuaries. There's many, as we speak, I don't know if you know, but there's animal sanctuaries everywhere. They're growing. Our, on our website, we have a map of them around the world. So they're growing as, as factory farms and slaughterhouses are diminishing, hopefully. Animal sanctuaries are growing. And those are basically farms that just uh, let animals live the rest of their lives in peace and um, you know, no threat to them, that the way they, as they see fit, 
uh, with our babies, with our families. So there is still hope to reverse things if we really switch this planet to a plant-based system in everything, not just the food we eat, the energy we consume, um, our lifestyle, everything, how we treat the animals, how we treat the planet itself, you know, and how we treat uh, wildlife. So that's great for me and you, but how do we convince that population that thinks that animals were given to them to, to consume? Yeah. How do you address that culture and the others that don't believe that there's any problem with eating meat? Well, that's a million dollar question. I mean, right? I don't think anybody has the answers. You know, there's so many animal rights groups on the planet, especially in America and everywhere in the world. And everybody's struggling. Everybody's trying this, trying that, trying, you know, like guilt tripping people, uh, appealing to their conscience, appealing to the, you know, uh, through the mind, to science, speaking through science, documentaries, you know, even a film like, um, what was the latest film that, uh, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, about the comic. Don't comment. look up. Yeah, don't look up. You know, it, it's Leo DiCaprio, you know, he's one of the people that are spearheading the effort to, like, you know, reverse uh, the climate crisis, climate change. So this film is an allegory to, yeah, to the dire, dire uh, situation where this planet is in and the, the comet, you know, coming down that we're not, not willing to look up and see is the climate crisis. So, you know, films like that, Hollywood films are trying, everybody's trying their best. And we in the vegan slash animal rights movement are trying mostly to appeal to people's emotions. That's what my group does. You know, our events are very emotional and they're literally are meant to make people not, you know, just forget all the rationalizations and arguments. Yeah, this, you need to eat uh, more plants and less meat, blah, blah, it's not good for you. Just appealing to people's hearts and people's emotions when they see these dead animals that we hold in our hands and they realize, wow, I'm responsible for these cute animals that look like my cat and dog dying or not being alive. And so everybody's trying, nobody has the right answer. And, you know, it really seems like I'm, I'm uh, every day I'm like either completely pessimistic or, or I'm hopeful, but I don't think the entire planet will go vegan. There will always be people that love hunting and love killing animals for some odd reason, or yeah, believe uh, whatever religion tells them that they should eat this and that. By the way, if you open, uh, I, I was born Jewish, right? If you open Genesis chapter 10, uh, no, sorry, Genesis, the first chapters, we know where God's creation is described. There's many verses that say, I've given you all these plants to eat. Right. Um, not even only you, but to all species on this planet. But yeah, so I don't think everybody will go vegan on this planet. I think two, two things might happen. First of all, the green meat or lab grown meat movement is growing. So I think a lot of many people won't stop killing animals or, eat, or eat, eating flesh, let's say. They might stop killing animals, but they won't give up on eating the flesh but there will be lab grown flesh for them to eat, which doesn't require killing animals. You know, all these are taken from one cell from an animal and then made in a lab into steaks or whatever people are used to eat. So that will be huge. So a lot of people will transition to eat that. Not me personally, I don't wanna try it, but a lot of people that won't give up on eating animals will eat that. And the rest of us and everybody else will, I think, will have to transition to a plant-based diet because really, again, the conditions on, of the living conditions on this planet will become so, so um, unbearable that we'll have to. And I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I want to live to that day. 
to see it. But I think if we continue, everybody says if we continue in this rate, we will face that really, okay, there's no choice. Um, so I think these two will uh, two things will happen. Either the condition will be too bearable to live the way we are and we'll have to wise up, look up and see the comet uh, about to crash into our planet, metaphorical comet, or there'll be these, you know, lab-made solutions that will let people eat their meat. It will be healthier meat. It won't have the fat and the cholesterol. So they'll have their meat, but animals won't have to be killed. Um, and that will satisfy, you know, the cravings of the people that would not give up on it for whatever reason, religious or just pleasure of their taste buds or any, anything else. So I think these these two factors will be very, very, will, will be um, the main factors that will contribute to eventually this planet transitioning to a plant-based system. So again, one, one factor is that just out of necessity, there's no other choice. And the other factor is advances in technology that would allow us to stop relying on animals and transitioning to other stuff made in, you know, either sheer plants or made in the lab. That's what I think. Yeah. Uh, and you are trying to look into the future, which isn't easy. Um... I'm curious, what made you decide to set such a lofty goal for yourself? I mean, it's not like some organizations and NGOs that focus on a specific piece of conservation. You just said, hey, I'm 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 tackling all of it. This is I'm going to make the world a different place for animals and people to live more harmoniously together. Why set such big goals for yourself? Um, because I don't have any other choice. I mean, any other goal would not be enough for me. I'm, I'm really, I, you know, to be honest, I'm, I mostly care about the ethical aspect of animals just because I love them so much. I think it's wrong. I come from a, a culture, you know, the Holocaust, my entire family was killed in the Holocaust, grew up in Israel where there's wars, there's, you know, death all around from, I remember from being a kid, it's in the culture, it's in the consciousness. So enough of that. I don't want to see, so I don't want to see anybody suffering. I don't want to see anybody getting killed. And that includes, uh, you know, our fellow, fellow earthlings, animals. So I, I mostly care about that aspect. I don't want to kill anybody and, and any species and torture anybody and definitely not these cute animals. Um, so I, I can't I can't stop in halfway. OK, because, you know, there's all these this also part of our movement is in about animal welfare. Oh, let's basically let's give them a bit more space in the cage or let's give them, you know, the metaphors. Let's give them a longer chain, which is. Mm -hmm. It's not just not enough for me. I I know that I am just one guy and I'm not probably going to change the world, but I can't stop anywhere other than the end goal, which is they all need to be free and live their life the way they they want without us, you know, dominating them, hurting them, abusing them. I want to talk a little bit about um, your events. I mean, that really struck my interest, piqued my interest when you mentioned holding little cute baby animals in your hands that were dead. Could you talk a little bit about what your events are? Yeah, so one of our biggest project is called the National Animal Rights Day or the acronym NARD, which I know in some parts of the country means something else. But anyway, these are, it's, called, it's the National Animal Rights Day and it started in the US. So it's one day a year where, where we dedicate that day to animals. We commemorate the billions of animals that are killed every year in a, a public funeral service, basically. And then afterwards, we also celebrate. We want to celebrate the small steps that are being made towards moving to that vision that I just, just described of the planet that transitioning to a plant-based system and no 
animals are killed anymore. Um, so it's always have these two folds kind of commemoration and celebration. Uh, and by now it became a national animal rights day in many other countries. So this year we had events in 50 countries, uh, 116 cities in 50, over 50 countries around the world. So we're trying to have every country around the world have its own uh, Memorial Day for Animals, which is what this day is. Uh, Memorial Day slash Independence Day for Animals. And again, coming from Israel, we have you know many Memorial Days like that for the Holocaust, for the casualties of the war. Um, so kind of it's in my culture to have these Memorial Days, but I think the animals deserve their Memorial Day and also they deserve their Independence Day. And we combine them into one event. So that's what the, this event is. So again, we introduced it. it the inspiration for it started in Spain, actually, an amazing group in Spain. Uh, but I brought it to the US. I mean, they didn't have an animal, uh, National Animal Rights Day, but the, the kind of ceremonies they did there was inspiration for us. And they're good friends of us uh, of ours. So they gave us their blessing. But um, we, we started this day, and now it's in 50 countries. And uh, we want every country eventually to have a day like that. And what we, what we mentioned, what we do in these ceremonies, you know, as part of the commemoration part of it, which is a public funeral slash memorial service for the billions of animals are killed every year on this planet. We sometimes have some of the victims with us. So we have all kinds of animals, mostly farm, farm animals that people are never used to see eye to eye ever. People won't go to a factory farm or slaughterhouse to see a baby cow or chicken. They just see a piece of meat on their plate. So we bring those animals out. And there's, there's a few reasons for that. Um, and when I say bring them out, literally, I mean, if, if you Google our events, NARD or National Animal Rights, you'll see everybody stands in this formation, kind of a theatrical formation of people wearing these white coveralls and holding deceased animals in their hands. Mm -hmm. So you'll see baby pigs, you'll see chickens, you'll see turkeys, you'll see baby cows, you'll see goats, uh, and sometimes non-farm animals. So cats, dogs, squirrels, mice, rats, uh, because all these animals are abused in some way, even cats and dogs, as you know, there's a big problem with cats and dogs in this country. Uh, so we have some of the real victims with us. And by the way, none of them has been slaughtered. So they all died on their own in different facilities that raise them for human consumption. But we get those animals out. We take the minute we get our hands on their bodies, we become their guardians. We clean them, uh, wash them, give them the only love they ever got on this planet. And we give them a proper, a proper funeral service. So the purpose of having them is twofold, to give them a proper funeral service. We give them all a name, we tell their story so people know. And we then after the event, we either bury them or cremate them and spread their ashes in nature. And the other, the other reason is, again, to show people in a non-threatening way, but really a firm, non-verbal way, Look, this is the result of your life. So you see this baby pig that I'm holding in my hand, like I would hold my human baby or my cat or dog. In a way, I mean, they're dead and this is your fault in a way. I mean, you, you make the connection. They're, they're not alive anymore. And these, these are the animals you kill, you, uh, you eat, you wear, you use for shampoos and other stuff. So the, the nonverbal message, so, uh, you know, as opposed to other kinds of animal rights activism, this is not in your face. There's no shouting. There's, there's no pointing a finger, actually. There's no blaming. There's just showing the reality to the public, bringing those animals out from all these hidden places, showing people how they look like, and in a nonverbal way, letting them understand that they have a say in, in the fate of these animals. And, and most people get it. And that's why I said 
we don't appeal so much to the intellectual part of, you know, the intellectual part of people like, oh, it's better for you, you should, nah, healthier for you. We just appeal to people's hearts. And most people, when they see it, the, you know, it clicks. Uh, mm -hmm. The token falls down and they it clicks and they understand. And yeah, many people go vegan after these events or they come to us and say, okay, I, I you got me. I can't continue living like that anymore. What can I do? And then the second part of the event, the celebration, is also educational. We have, uh, you know, amazing vegan food. We have speakers. We have entertainers, all vegan, you know, athletes, celebrities. And people learn how, in a way, easy it is now in 2022 to transition to this plant-based lifestyle. It's not, you know, it's not 30 years ago when you, like every little, literally here in LA, it's like heaven, right? So literally last week, a new vegan burger place, which is going to be a chain, just opened up. So it's a regular burger place. Can to have your fries, your milkshakes, your burgers, your chicken burgers, your whatever you want, but it's all plant-based and it tastes the same. It's amazing. It just, to me, it's mind blowing. It's, there's no excuse nowadays to not live this lifestyle. It's so easy. Um, yeah. Which came first, the acting or the activism? The, so in a way, the activism was always there because I was taking care of, in a way, I can, you guys can call it activism. I was taking care of the cats and the horses, not really being aware I'm becoming an activist. It just, I, I couldn't, it's like when you asked me about the goal, I couldn't not, I could not not do anything about it. So I started doing something about it. And then after the army, my military service, I went to film school to become a film director and thought I wanted to do that. Then I be, fell in love with being in front of the camera. So it was a slow transition. So they kind of went hand in hand. And, you know, one of the kind of biggest tragedies of, of my life, if you want to call it, is that I left Israel in order to study acting in New York. And I left the, all my cats there. I mean, I, I made sure neighbors will feed them, but in, in a way I left them because I went to pursue my career. So at times the, the acting took precedence and, you know, that also brought me to LA from New York, the acting. Um, but now it's like, I can't, again, I, I came to LA in the beginning. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any animal rights groups here. And, and then it just, it finds me. And then I'm not, now I'm deep in the animal rights movement here. Everybody knows me and I'm, I'm doing these events. I'm also these 116 events around the world. I'm also the organizer, not only the kind of global organizer of all of it, but I'm also the organizer of the LA events. Every year I'm very busy with that. Uh, and, you know, we have our, the LA events are always kind of the flagship of the events because we have, you know, plant-based of vegan celebrities with us. Joaquin Phoenix came a few times, Moby, Kathy Freston, uh, Donna Derrico. So uh, the proximity to Hollywood helps here. Mm -hmm. And we do have uh, many celebrities that are, you know, with us. So, yeah, it's kind of hand in hand, the Hollywood and the, and the animals. It sounds like one, they both influence the other kind of in, in your actions and in your mission, so to speak. Yeah, um, so what else haven't I asked you that you think is important for people to know, whether it's about you or your organization? Um, I think, you know, to touch on the wildlife aspect, and I know that's kind of your main thing. Um, so, yeah, so we have, you know, we have animals that we call pets, right? Cats and dogs. There's a big issue with that. I don't know if people are aware, but, you know, our city shelters everywhere in this country are full of cats, dogs, sometimes bunnies, other animals that people discard or don't want to adopt or just, you know, 
have for a few months, years, and then decide to surrender them. So there's a huge problem. And mo most of these shelters have to kill animals. So they're killed shelters. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge problem of thousands and thousands of animals killed every year in shelters, you know, locked in cages, being alone, having no family. So that's its own issue. Um, what we call farm animals or, you know, animals that humans use for, uh, you know, to test on or hunting or, you know, other animals are not cats and dogs, uh, have their own issue. Again, it's, it's a total relationship of, uh, it's a relationship of total abuse and domination. And that's what we're trying to, to change, right? So those are those animals that humans consider basically object that were put on this planet to serve us. Um, and then finally, there's what we call, again, these are all human definitions, right? So human, humans made these demarcations. Oh, cats and dogs are pets and we love them, but also we can get rid of them if it's not convenient. Then you have farm animals and lab animals and animals that we use for different things that we need, right? And then we have wildlife animals. So those are animals we dub wildlife and but the thing is, they live with us and among us. I mean, they lived here first. So in Los Angeles, there's squirrels, there's possums, there's raccoons, there's coyotes, uh, there's lizards, there's all these animals, there's mice, there's rats. They were here first. We infringed on their territory. We build roads in their territory. We put our houses there. So, you know, we complain, oh, I have a gopher in my backyard. Yeah, they lived there before you bought that backyard. So, but the issue with these animals is that they really have no, no status at all, no consideration. So, okay, we don't go out and kill them like we do with the other animals. And some states and cities have laws against, you know, you cannot harm them. But still, it's not enough because they live here with us. They get injured by our cars. They get injured by excavations and all kinds of things, you know, trimming the trees and all kinds of activities we do for, for us humans, right? And there's no systems that care for them. So in LA, I mean, there's no week that goes by without being seeing driving and seeing a possum on the side of the road hit by cars or squirrels or or this or that or raccoons, right? And and it's and, and the city, at least LA, but as far as I know, any city in the US is not equipped to deal with them. So there's LA animal services, but they, they are clueless, they they cannot help. So when you call them, hey, I have a squirrel here, he was just injured, what do I do? Uh, I mean, if you, they are, they don't even have the vets to treat these animals. They send them somewhere else and they die on, in the meantime. And every time somebody, my, one of my friends, even in the animal rights movement, it, it happens every week. Hey, I just you see on Facebook of people calling you. I found four baby squirrels. What do I do with them? Nobody knows. There's no, there's no knowledge and no systems that are equipped to deal with them. Yes, there's rehabbers, private people that are certified as rehabbers. There's one or two in the entire LA area that could possibly, they're authorized by the state to handle these animals, but they're completely full. People don't know of them. It always, it's a matter of four hours until people start calling and finding out going online. Oh yeah, there's one lady in Thousand Oaks. She takes care of squirrels. Thousand Oaks is three hours away or two hours away. Anyway, there's no, long story short, there's no system of hospitals or any system of medical system or emergency system or any system whatsoever, or rehabbing system backed by the city or the state or the federal to handle wildlife animals. So they live here, they get injured, they, they suffer from our activities, from the climate, from all kinds of things, and they just die and they get hit in an accident you know, on the road and they die and then it's, it's, it's a miserable life. 
and they have no one to care for them. So I, I'm really like, you know, okay, how can we change that? I mean, can we build a hospital for wildlife animals in Los Angeles, which just like people will have an emergency service, ambulances. So if somebody finds a raccoon that is still half alive on the side of the road, they call a 911 a number and an ambulance comes and takes them to the hospital and, and gives them treatment. I mean, I don't see why humans should have a system like that of hospitals and clinics and ambulances and, and you know, emergency 911 and, and these animals don't. I mean, because again, we're talking about thousands, if, dozens of thousands of animals living among us, living with us. I'm sure even, even you know, on the East Coast, it's the same. Yeah. Um, and nobody, we're not equipped or we don't even care to be equipped to, to help them. So this needs to change as well, because um, yeah, I, I can't see this anymore happening and it, it needs to change. And also, you know, they, we always, you know, humans always think, oh, we live in a bubble. Oh yeah, yeah, animals in China, that's fine. No harm will come to us from that. And then you have a pandemic. They. Their well-being is related to our well-being. If they get sick, if there's a disease, if they get, you know, too many of them get injured by the side of the road, if even the ecological system, some of them are take care of uh, what we call rodents, right, and cockroaches and all that. So any any big change that happens to the system does affect us in the end. So even if you don't care about the ethical aspect of caring for these cute animals, I don't know if you've seen a possum or a raccoon. They're really cute. They're really not different than a cat or a dog. Um, so even if you don't care about their about them and their well-being, any way you look at it, we're all interconnected. So if there's an issue with wildlife animals not being treated, if there's a pandemic going on, if too many of them get killed, or if the system goes out of whack, this will affect us as well. I just can't not do it. So I just go on because I can't stop and, and say, oh, I don't care about it anymore. So what? Uh, no matter how harsh things look, and you know, when a new vegan burger chain opens up, I'm like, we're all in a bubble. Yay, the world changing, the tipping point. And then you go out and then you go to, I don't know, to our store and you ask, hey, do you have any uh, vegan cheese? And they look at you, huh? Like you fell from the moon. Like they have no clue what you're even talking about. Um, so it, it, you know, it's like a pendulum. It's like one day you're very optimistic, the other day you're like, oh, man, this is never gonna. But I just keep going because I can't. I can't not keep going. I can't stop. I, I, as long as I'm alive, I have to do something for for them, for injustice, for the animals. And 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 I do see the world is changing. I mean, very slowly. I mean, ten years ago there were, weren't Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat and and all the cheeses that are out there and. Um, and all these vegan burger chains around the around the world, which is mind blowing to me and vegan donut chains and vegan, uh, you know, any, anything you want. So the world is changing in the right direction. And again, it is going in the direction of like we, we described our vision, which is this world, this planet transitioning to a plant based system. It just happening too slow. That's that's the issue. So we're all trying to help it keep keep the course in that direction, but also expedite it. That's what we're all trying. Uh, so I do see the, the, the change happening. It's just very slow and um, yeah, not, not fast enough because every minute that goes by, what is it, a million animals die in this country alone. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not that optimistic, but I do, I do see that we're going in the right direction. So that gives me hope. Uh, it just needs to be faster, basically. Mm -hmm. Alam Orion, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I also want to 
where can I direct folks to find your work and, of course, any information on the organization? So they can go to our website, okay. ourplanetvers2.org, our or go to just the National Animal Rights Day website, which is shorter, uh, the NARD, so T-H-E-N-A-R-D, thenard.org. So you can go to either website, you'll find our, the contact uh, section there, email us, uh, you know, get in touch and we'd love to have you join us or direct you to the right group that uh, you would feel like your, your style uh, fits. Yeah, awesome. Great, well, we'll have to keep in touch, keep us abreast of anything that's coming up in your world and okay. we'll definitely do the same. Okay, sounds good. Take care, Elam.